this is Kendall Haberman, and I am doing my podcast on A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. So I'm going to start off by talking about the characters, because I feel like they are one of the most plot-altering aspects of the story. I think they play such a big role. And the three that I have in front of me, I think, are the largest factors in this novel that change it and make it the way it is although almost all of them have quite a large effect on the story's outcome as a whole the first one that i have is lucy manette she is one of the main characters of a tale of two cities and she is the connecting piece of the puzzle of people throughout the entire story she is pure and young and she's full of empathy and kindness And she sort of brings a calm light into the lives of others and sort of brings them at ease. She's described in the book as the golden thread that brings everyone together as she has golden hair, which is kind of like the visual aspect. And then she intertwines the lives of others, um, which is the symbol aspect. Um, She connects herself to Darnay, to Carton, to Striver, to Mr. Lori, and pretty much everyone in the book. Um, although she's not deep into the main climax of action in the story, like, she's not really put into any, like, main action, she's still seen as the heroine from her ability to bring people, um, at peace and bring them happiness, as well as bring all of those she comes in contact with a tight bond of love and companionship together. So, a thing that, about Lucy, that makes me think is if she has such a big role in the story what would the book even be like without her so i think that the connection between the two cities and the people is all thanks to lucy because she is the reason why her and mr laurie laurie traveled to paris in the first place and meet mr defarge and all the jocks when they go to see her father after he has been in jail for ever for like 18 years All of these characters would be completely removed from the plot, like the Defarges, um, all the Jacques, Marquis, Darnay, all of those people we would have never met. Um, Because there would be no trip to Paris where they were introduced. Without Lucy, Dr. Manette may have never been sane again because her visiting him in prison is one of the major reasons why he gained consciousness and was more control of his emotions and his mentality. Um, And he could have died in that jail cell just making shoes over and over again, not even knowing that he was free. Um, Also, Carton would have continued to live his miserable life and maybe even die in a worse way than he did after meeting Lucy because he was sentenced to death after meeting Lucy because he replaced Darnay. But I'll get to that later. He might have died in an even worse way that just would not have been as freeing and peaceful and calm as that was for him. So speaking of Carton, he's next on my list that I want to talk about because despite being a depressed drunk with not much going for him in his life, he was seen as the protagonist um, in A Tale of Two Cities, which... Usually when you hear, like, a drunk, depressed guy in a novel, he's not going to be the protagonist. But in this case, 
he is. At first glance, you can't really see his true personality because it's veiled with the dark depression looming over him. But once he begins to open up to Lucy, you see who he truly is, as well as the effect Lucy has over him. He ends up saving Darnay at the end of the book because he sacrificed himself to be executed so that Darnay and Lucy could live happily ever after. Carton would have done anything to make Lucy happen, and not wanting to live much longer anyway, he found his purpose in his sacrifice. He was able to bring himself, as well as everyone around him, peace, wrapping up the story on a melancholy but satisfactory note. So I felt that this sacrifice was, like, all that the story, like, revolved around. Since he did it for Lucy, and Lucy just connects everyone in the book, literally the only thing that Carton does in the book that is good and literally has any effect on anything is replacing Darnay in his jail cell. I think that that's what he was placed there for, and his dark depression and love for Lucy just made everything ten times easier for him to do. Um, the last person that I have is Darnay, so that was, like, Lucy's husband and the father of her child that Carton replaces in the jail cell. Um, he was an heir of the Marquis' fortune, um, but he lives his life as a lie. No one knows his real name or who he really is, other than Dr. Manette later on in the story because he wanted to know who he was, like, the morning before him and Lucy got married. Even Lucy, who uh, falls in love with him and has a child with him, um, she does not know his true identity because he chooses not to associate himself with the Marquis. And this is because of the terror that he brings to the French people. He was awful to them. He even ran over a kid in the street and was not even slightly phased by it. Um, And so he rejected this guy completely because he sucked, even though it meant that... um, he would be declining the great fortune and, like, land and all that stuff that he could have. Um, Darnay kind of functions as a mystery factor in the book because it's a long while before we really find out what his true identity is. And he's also a tool for the dramatic irony that I will talk about later because it is known who he is after the author states it. But none of the characters know this, and this creates dramatic irony as something is revealed to us that is hidden um, from the people inside of the story. Alright, so the next thing that I'm going to talk about is the setting. So, the setting of A Tale of Two Cities includes the obvious two cities. So these cities include Paris and London during the end of the 18th century during the French Revolution. The setting has a large effect on the book because it is literally what the entire storyline is based on. It is what the title is based on. All of that stuff. There's tension between these two cities as well as between the rich and the poor in Paris. And there are very different storylines happening at the same time in the two separate places. What adds another dimension to the book is the crossover between these two cities where the characters are no longer separated as those that you would read about, um, like the the chapters in London or those that you would read about in the Paris chapters. Uh, As the characters go through more and meet each other, the storyline of the two um, sets of people begin to cross. Um, 
I guess an example of this would be when Darnay got placed into the Paris jail cell that I was talking about um, and was replaced with Carton, putting Carton in the opposite city that he began in. Um, this cross of the plot from one place of the setting to another creates the intriguing dynamic and emphasizes the previously mentioned bond that Lucy creates with all that she, she surrounds with herself, the golden thread, which I will continue to talk about this entire podcast because it is, I think, one of the most major important symbols, and it's symbolized in many ways. But, um, yeah, the setting of the story is the base of the entire plot and um, it affects who you meet and when and um, it's really cool when the characters like cross over because then everyone sort of meets each other and again everyone sort of meets each other through Lucy because she is the golden thread that ties everyone together. So next I'm going to talk about the structure of the story. So since the story is set in two different places and you kind of jump in between one and the other constantly, um, it's really helpful that the structure is um, in chronological order um, because this makes the shift from one setting to another much more comprehensible um, as if both um, the plot timeline and the setting were changing at the same time, the book would be immensely hard to understand. The shift back and forth from Paris every couple of chapters adds dimensions to the plot and allows an understanding that this is occurring in both places at the same time. So if it were in, I don't know, unchronological order, if that is the word, <laughs> um, it would be a lot more confusing to read and I feel like it would not have the same effect because chronological order kind of allowed us to see the two parallel worlds that were happening at the same time in the two separate cities as well as how they crossed over with each other okay so now the narration um the narrator in the story applies their own opinion a lot on the characters of the story um which persuades others to kind of hold those same opinions his feelings about each character are extremely obvious, obvious as he shines a like super bright light on Lucy Manette's empathy and act of being the golden thread in her community and places a gloomy shadow over Carton um, to show not only that um, the others in the book saw him that way, but also the narrator, who is sort of like an outsider, also saw him that way. Um, also the entire passage of Carton at the end of the novel, which, um, I will go over at the very end because that is one of my power passages. Um, it, um, he, the narrator completely assumed that that was what he was going to say. Um, he completely made it up. He just thought that if Carton were to say something at his deathbed, that is what he would say. Um, there is no proof that he may have said anything remotely close to it, but it affects us to um, think that it is completely true and undeniable because it's written down, it's there in the book, and it sounds like something that Carton would say in that situation. The next piece um, of the literature that I'm going to talk about is figurative language, and I have three major... Um, 
aspects that I want to talk about, the first being dramatic irony, because it is found so many times within the book. Um, Dramatic irony occurs when the audience knows more about the storyline or action than those within the actual story. It functions as a tool of intrigue and adds more dimension into the storyline. You already know that, but I wanted to give you some sort of background so you could see where I'm coming from. These, are, There are multiple instances of dramatic irony throughout, including the intention drawing ending scene that I just talked about, as well as Mrs. Defarge's meaning behind her sewing. So at the time of Carton's death, only a few know that it is him and not Darnay about to be executed. This reveals more information than what is known to the rest of the members of society and, um, well, excluding the Manettes and Darnay. Um, so the reader knows more than the people actually in the book. So that's one instance. And the other example, um, which is probably the most obvious example is Mrs. Defarge's sewing because it creates dramatic irony as it is known that she is deciding the fates of the people that she meets through the codes in her work. Um, and we know that because it says in the book, but those around her, especially the ones that she is sowing the fate of, have no clue what is going on. They just think that she's got a hobby. <laughs> so the next one that I want to talk about is foreshadowing because it also does happen multiple times throughout the story. Um, it is basically when the author hints at something that is going to happen later in the story and it functions um, as a way to see what might occur in the story, conserving interest in the story and how it may change. The most obvious instance of this would be when Mrs. Pross stated that there would be hundreds of people to come and eventually they finally came, but no one believed Mrs. Pross at first since literally no one showed up to the house other than Darnay, which made her seem unreliable and it was assumed that not one person would be coming. However, later many people came confirming her statement and establishing the foreshadowing element. Um, another example that I think it stood out to me, um, the most, but I think it, uh, it took a little bit more analysis is the wine barrels breaking and spreading throughout the street. So the streets were complete, completely stained with this wine stain, um, which symbolizes blood and it looks like blood staining the streets. And one man even dips his hand, um, in and writes on a wall, blood, um, and this accident foreshadows the bloodshed that would later happen in those exact streets during, um, the start of the French Revolution. The same streets that were once stained with that wine were stained with blood, which is what they were said to be, um, stained with when the, all the wine barrels broke. And this established and confirms the foreshadowing in the earlier chapter. Um, one of the major figurative language um, tools in the novel is symbolism because there are tons of symbols throughout this book. The symbolism in the story acts as highlights of the theme of resurrection um, as they revolve around the lives of those within the story and the death that occurs around them and all parallel the human experience. These symbols include wine, which parallels blood, footsteps, the guillotine, and the golden thread. The wine, guillotine, and Mrs. Defarge's golden thread all symbolize death in the story. They kind of tell you what is yet to come and surround those who will face death in the end. 
Um, so those people that you see around those symbols are probably going to die in the story. So um, the footsteps as well as Lucy's embodiment of the golden thread represent life. There is action and life occurring around those associated with those symbols. And most of the characters connected with the symbols live or die full of life and without regret. So one of the major things that stuck out to me about the symbolism within the story is how the golden thread um, was used to symbolize someone so empathetic and pure, as well as symbol symbolize death. And I sort of answered this by saying that gold can be used to describe beautiful things and pure things, but can also be used to describe corruption and greed. This connects the golden thread representing good as well as bad, life as well as death. Lucy was the golden thread that kept everyone together while Mrs. Defarge's golden thread sentenced people to death. So they seem very different as one represents life and connection and love and the other was literally a death sentence. But I connected literally right before I started recording this podcast is that... um. They also intertwine with one another because Lucy ends up being the reason that Carton is sentenced to death, which makes her sort of act as her own golden thread in the context of Defarge's golden thread rather than herself connecting people together, which I thought was very cool. Now I'm going to move on to the most exciting part of the podcast, which is going to be the two major power passages in the story which just so happened to be the very first passage as well as the very last passage of the story okay so the first power passage that i have in front of me is the very first passage of the book which stood out to me literally the second that I read it because it should stand out to everyone the first second that they read it. So it is probably one of the most popular passages in the book, but it is also so confusing. Um, I knew that it showed contradiction um, before like I analyzed all of it, um, as well as the whole story is like double-sided because it is a tale of two cities. But the combination of words and it being the very first part of the book that I had to read and comprehend is a bit confusing, and it was sort of hard to understand. So, I will read it for you. It goes, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of the nosiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. There was a king with a large jaw and a queen with a plain face on the throne in England. There were a king with a large jaw and a queen with a fair face on the throne of France. In both countries, it was clearer than crystal to the lords of the state 
preserves of loaves and fishes that things in general were settled forever. So, as you can see, there is a ton of contradiction throughout that whole passage, which is the first two paragraphs of the story. It's what you first start off reading as soon as you open up the book. So, what I was wondering was, why start off the book with such a confusing rambling of contradicting sentences? So, Dickens starts off the story in this odd way to show the conflicts between people, places, and all within the time period. There was tension between London and Paris, tension between the people, and tensions within oneself during that time. So, like, tensions between London and Paris, they were fighting, they weren't getting along. Tensions between the people, um, there was families like um, the Marquis and Darnay, where Darnay just wanted nothing to do with Marquis because he was um, awful, he was a horrible ruler, he was cruel, he was corrupt, he was awful, he wanted Marquis completely out of his life. Um, there was tension between... Um, the Manette because her dad was going insane and she just found out that he was alive and it was a lot for her to go through. Um, and Carton was fighting with himself because he was going through this deep depressive state and Lucy didn't love him back, but she, he still wanted to do anything that he could um, for her. Um, he was fighting with himself against himself. And also, the Jacques were conquering the powerful French um, and began the whole conflict of the French Revolution, which is kind of just like the people against society. So every single part of the world was fighting with every single other part of the world, whether it was self on self, man on society, families with one another, cities against one another, the rich versus the poor, all of it were clashing and contradicting each other. All right, it is time for my favorite part of the book, which is why I put that little thing in there to create hype. So <laughs> this quote is the last page and a half, or I guess it just kind of sort of adds up to a page of um, the book. Uh, it was never actually said. It was what the narrator thought that Carton would say um, as he walks towards the guillotine. So I will read that for you. One of the most remarkable sufferers by the same axe, a woman had asked at the foot of the same scaffold not long before to be allowed to write down the thoughts that were inspiring her. If he had given away any utterance to his, and they were prophetic, they would have been this. I see Barsad and Clyde Afarge, the vengeance, the jurymen, the judge, long ranks of new oppressors who have risen on the destruction of the old, perishing by this retribu retributive instrument before it shall cease out of its present use. I see a beautiful city and a brilliant people rising from this abyss. And in their struggles to be truly free, in their triumphs and defeats, through long, long years to come, I see the evil of this time and of the previous time of which this is the natural birth, gradually making ex 
expiation for itself and wearing out. I see the lives for which I laid down my life peaceful, useful, prosperous, and happy. In that England, which I shall see no more, I see her with a child upon her bosom who bears my name. I see her father, aged and bent, but otherwise restored and faithful to all men in his healing office and at peace. I see the good old man, so long their friend, in 10 years time enriching them with all he has and passing tranquility to his reward. I see that I hold a sanctuary in their heart and in the hearts of their descendants, generations hence. I see her, an old woman, weeping for me on the anniversary of this day. I see her and her husband, their course is done, lying side by side in their last earthly bed. And I know that each was not more honored and held sacred in the other soul than I was in the souls of both. I see that child who lay upon her bosom and who bore my name, a man winning his way up in the path of life, which once was mine. I see him winning it so well that my name is made illustratious there by the light of his. I see the blots I threw upon it, faded away. I see him foremost of just judges and honored men, bringing a boy of my name with a forehead that I know in golden hair to this place. Then, fair to look upon, with not a trace of this day's disfigurement. And I hear him tell the child my story with a tendered and faltering voice. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest than that I go than I have ever known. I know that there was some stuttering in there, but I think that you got the main point. Um, I don't want to have to restart that without stuttering because then I would never finish this project, but, um, the, my favorite part of that entire quote is the very ending sentence. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far rest that I go to than I have ever known. Um... And um, it's the reason why he went through all that he did. He was brought down by Striver, liked yet unwanted by Lucy, and constantly dragged down by his drinking and depression because his drinking, he was probably doing it to take care of his depression, but as we have all seen in real life, that does not work. Um, the sweet, quote-unquote, rest and release that would come with this death was more than satisfying to him. And knowing that it would lead Lucy and her family to um, a better life, with even if though it meant he would not be there, made this contribution much more intriguing than ever. Both Carton and Darnay got their own sweet release one way or another. Darnay got his sweet release out of prison and out of his death sentence, and Carton got the sweet release of death, where he did not have to worry about drinking, being depressed, having to watch Lucy be in love with another man, and having a kid with him, and all of that stuff. He got to just leave it. And the last 
I think most important sort of impossible question that I have here. Um, I think that this is the most impossible out of all of my impossible questions that I have scattered throughout here um, is why this quote was included in the book if it was never truly spoken. So this quote was included um, because it was believed that the narr- by the narrator that this is what Carton would have stated if he were to have spoken at his execution. Um, even though he didn't even say, like, a word, his calm face and attitude um, showed everyone how he truly felt and what he would have said if he did such. The author wanted to make sure that Carton was not portrayed as some random depressed dude who found a way um, out of life without having to worry about doing it himself. He was made to seem as a hero. Um, as I said before, he was the heroine of the story. He was the, not the heroine, because that's Lucy. He was the protagonist. Um, he was not some selfish drunk who could not bear to live any longer. Um, he's seen throughout the book as the latter. Uh, yet by the end, the reader understands that his true role as the hero in the story, um, with a big help from these inferred quotes of Carton, uh, at the end of the story that I just read off. Um, he's not simply a man who found a way out of life. He's a hero. Um, and he sacrifices himself for the better of society and Lucy's family and sort of himself, which in a way could be seen as selfish because, um, I know that a lot of the times when people, um, I guess they don't die of natural causes. They die deliberately. Um, It is seen as selfish. Um, But I feel like this was a completely selfless thing to do, even though it sort of benefited him in the end because it's kind of what he wanted. Um, Previously, Carton whispered to um, Lucy, a life you love, um, on page 313. And this quote um, was meant to show Carton's reasoning for doing what he does because he, this whole entire, ever since he met Lucy, he just wanted to give her a life that she would love even if it meant that he would have to die and he wouldn't be able to see her and talk to her and have her fall in love with him. Um, And combining that quote with the last passage of the book sort of encapsulates the entire meaning of his life and how he felt to die um, for such a great purpose. All right, so I just wanted to end my podcast by, first of all, um, just highlighting all of the questions that I put in here, the impossible questions, just in case they did not stick out. Um, what would the story be without the presence of Lucy Manette? I also have what the use of the symbol of golden thread um, symbolized someone so empathetic and pure, as well as symbolized death. Um, I have why start off the novel with a confusing rambling of contradicting sentences. Why was Carton so pleased and calm as he was sent to his death by execution? Why does he believe this action is the best thing he has ever done? And why is this quote included in the book if it was never truly spoken? So, I'm pretty sure that I highlighted those enough for you to know that those were the questions. But if I didn't, those were that. And thank you for listening.
um, and have a great day. Oh, 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 oh,